to live is Christ. What's true of all of us in the room this morning is for you to live is something. You've got something that your life is being built on. I like what Louis Giglio says. If you want to know what your life is about, you add up three things. Number one, what has your allegiance? What is it in your life that everything else gets put on hold for for that? What's your allegiance? Two, what gets your attention? When you can think about whatever it is that you want to think about, what do you think about? And then third, what has your affection? What stirs you up, right? Whatever You add those three things up, your allegiance, your attention, your affection. What you have, my friends, is your God, quite frankly. And what you have is what your life is. So it can be any number of things. For me, my life is career. My life is success. My life is money. My life is this other person. I can assure you, if it's something other than Jesus... Your life is unstable in all of its ways, and it's only a matter of time until that is revealed to you. And by the way, it's good of the Lord to reveal to you that your stability is on an unsure foundation. Because as we've been talking about in recent days, everything in your life that can be shaken will be shaken. It's just a matter of time. If you can't nod your head to this statement, everything in your life that can be shaken will be shaken. Just wait. There will be a day where you realize that is absolutely true. So I'm going to invite you to stand at this time for the reading of God's Word, talking about life being shaken. We've got uh, someone we're going to look at uh, this morning whose life has been shaken to its very core, its very foundation, and praise the Lord for the unshakable Jesus. Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Remember last Sunday, Jesus had healed the demoniac, so he's crossed the sea. Back to the other side again, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much, under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. We'll pause there and we'll pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. We've seen in, in our recent Sunday morning studies that Jesus makes unbreakable promises. If he says it will happen, it will happen. He says we'll get across to the other side of the sea, no matter what kind of storm might rise up in between him saying that and getting across, it will happen. He's got unmatched power when spiritual forces of wickedness have consumed a man's life. Jesus can step in and he's got all power and authority. And today I'm thankful that we are able to see that Jesus has transforming power on behalf of the ashamed So give us grace as we study that we see Jesus for who he is and those in the room who are in great need of the transforming power of Jesus in their lives. May they see that that is who he is and that is what he has. He he can change everything. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, just by way of introduction, we'll continue to say... Everything in your life that can be shaken will be shaken. Some of you are living that right now. That's that sort of life for you in the moment. On some level, there's a 
circumstance that has come about that the things that you once had confidence in, uh, you're realizing that they are not quite uh, worthy of your great uh, confidence. Everything in life that can be shaken will be shaken, so you have to build your life on that which can never be shaken, namely the character, purpose, and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been so sick that you'd give anything to be made well? Have you ever been so sick that you would give anything to be made well? We see that in this passage as Jesus steps out onto the sea, there's a great crowd, and in this passage that we'll study through, in particular, there are two people. And what I want you to notice on the front end is that they're two very different people. One is the ruler of a synagogue, which means he's powerful, he's influential, and that village, he's probably the most well-known person there is. He's got uh, a little bit of wealth, he's got influence, but he's encountered a situation that no matter his power influence is greater than he is. And that will happen in all of our lives, no matter uh, how uh, smart you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter how well you're doing in life, there will be things that will come along that are greater than, than you are. And, and then we have, uh, in contrast to this powerful and influential man, is an over, overlooked a woman who's got no influence. She's got no power. In fact, her whole life, as we'll talk about this morning, is sort of defined by uh, a shame. And so there's great trouble in this village, and Jesus steps out. He's already demonstrated that he's got authority over disaster in the calming of the storm. Last Sunday, he demonstrates that he's got power over demons, and today we'll see that he's got power over disease. So what these two people have, Jairus and the woman, for all the things they don't have in common, what they do have in common is that they have problems that are beyond them. Anybody there? This morning, you have some things going on in life that uh, are overwhelming. They both have problems beyond them, but they both look to Jesus for help. Now, this is really important for your life. When you, not if, but when you have circumstances and situations and adversity that's greater than you are, where do you look for help? Because on the subject of spiritual forces that are wicked, they're deceitful. There's deceitful spiritual forces, and one of the common tactics is to get you to look for help, look for rescue, and look for refuge in unhelpful places. And the third thing they have in common is that not only do they have problems that are greater than them, not only do they look for Jesus for help, but praise God Almighty, Jesus helps them. We're going to pay a particular attention this morning to the woman with the issue of bleeding, and if you've got an outline, that'll be the first point, uh, or the next point, rather, there is, um, well, just to get on the same page, uh, so uh, we face trouble from uh, demons, or from, di- from disaster, from demons, from disease, and from death. When you face trouble in this life, it's going to come from one of those sources at least, sometimes more than one of them. And so let's begin to zero in on this uh, woman in particular. And the point there, number one, is um, we face, uh, you know what I'm doing? This is what I've got going on. This is last week's outline that I keep looking at. So let's just, you know, some of our trouble in life is of our own making. So uh, 
So that's what the issue is. All right, so now that I've confused you and myself, let's look for clarity in Christ. That's just a teachable moment for all of us. So, so number one is uh, the woman has a significant problem. That actually is point number one, the one I've spent now eight minutes trying to make. So the woman has a significant problem. And here's what I mean by this. There is not a second of any day for 12 years that she's not been extremely aware of her problem. Every moment of every day is affected by what we're told here in verse 25, is the woman had a discharge of blood and that it's gone on for 12 years. It affects every relationship she has. It affects every thought that passes through her mind. So a couple of observations about her issues is, first, she's suffering physically, emotionally, and silently. That's significant, isn't it? I mean, it has physical effect in her life. This is not an issue that can be compartmentalized. It's not something that we'll put, put this away and we'll think about it later. It's constant. It's, it's ongoing. No doubt the issue of bleeding, it leaves her physically weak. Without a lot of energy, and man, when you're tired, everything gets compounded, doesn't it? And it also has emotional consequences. This type of issue means things like she doesn't accept invitations to dinner, right? I mean, she, she's not going to go to the party or the, or the get-together. This leaves her isolated. It leaves her alone. We'll talk about more about this in a, in a little bit, but according to the Levitical law, it also means you don't go to the temple. You don't go to worship. So she's completely cut off. The law says she's unclean and she cannot participate in worship. And then let's just be honest, the issue that she has, it's it's not something you really want to talk about. It's not one of these matters that you say, well, let's grab a cup of coffee and let me let you know what's going on in my life. And here's what's true for us, a group uh, like this on a Sunday morning. Many of us have things of great significance going on in our lives that uh, in little meet and greet time that we did earlier when we're greeting one another, it's not what you want to talk about. It's not what you want to talk about at lunch today. It's not what you want to talk about at all. You can tell other people that you deal with headaches or that you've got a fever or any, sort, uh, any number of physical issues that you can talk about. I mean, when it comes to this, even leprosy would be easier to talk about than what she has going on. So if we begin to think about her situation, she's isolated She's overlooked, and she's ashamed. And a a throng of people, you know, it's possible to be, and it's what we're told here, a great crowd is gathered. It's possible to be in a crowd, but alone. You know what I mean? It's possible to be around people, but to really sit there. And some of you are there this morning. You're in the crowd, but you're like, nobody really knows what I'm dealing with. And I'm so isolated. I feel completely overlooked, and I'm feeling ashamed. And this, what I want to encourage you, is what distinguishes the holy and righteous heart of God from the hearts of sinful people. I think the Academy Awards are tonight. I'm not trying to call attention to that, but, man, there's going to be a red carpet, and uh, you'll see sort of uh, the emphasis of the world on display as everybody's going to get uh, uh, on, on display the wealthy and the beautiful and the powerful and the influential. But I want you to see from this passage that Jesus is drawn to the isolated, the overlooked, and the weak. Amen? That's who he is. That is his character. That is his heart. So if you sit there and think, uh, I'm isolated and alone and overlooked, I want you to know that that's not true 
of Jesus. He draws near. But what's really um, hard in this lady's life is the next observation is she's tried everything she knows to try to get better. She's tried everything she knows. It says in verse 25, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. So this has gone on for a while, right? And just notice this description. Let's just think about this for a moment. Who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, with each of these situations, as we're in this portion of Mark's gospel, with the disaster, the storm that comes out of nowhere, and the disciples think they're going to perish, and then with the man with the demons, and now with this lady, what we can notice is the first response in all of them was a man-centered response. And this is our default setting. We really think there's something we can do if we'll just do enough research, read enough books, get enough knowledge, get Google out, and get that search engine going, that we'll find an answer. When the storm rises up, these men are like, we're experienced fishermen. Get the pails and we're going to get enough water out. But the water starts to come in. That's what the scripture says. Faster than they can get it out. With the demoniac, you remember what they tried to do with him. Let's chain him down, right? Man-centered response. Just chain him. Not a very compassionate response, is it? We're going to leave him chained over there in the tombs. And in this, this lady's response is her first thing is, oh, oh, I need to go see the physician. Now, it says that she had suffered much. Can we just parse this out? Now, for all your complaints about health care, you, you should be thankful that you're not seeking health care in the first century. We're not given details, and we don't need to go into it, perhaps. But when it says she suffered much, who knows what that means, right? I mean, the physicians that she goes to, I mean, you just think about the cycle that she's been living under for 12 years. First one tries something. She pays, and then the optimism is high, right? This physician's done something that's going to help me out, and then enough time goes by and realizes, no, that doesn't. And just think about this cycle, the cycle of optimism, hope, waiting, and then bitter disappointment. And then mustering up a little bit more optimism, a little bit more hope, maybe this time. Now, now many physicians means she's gone to everyone she knows. And each in turn, no doubt, said they could help, for a price. And now this likely includes well-meaning physicians who really thought they could help, but it also likely meant at that time some who knew from the beginning they couldn't, but said they could for some money, right? And you just think about that cycle. And then it says she had spent all that she had. She'd spent all her money looking for help, looking for a solution. And as the money diminished, her desperation increased. And then this phrase, think about this. She was no better, but rather grew worse. I mean, how many tears do you think that entails? How many anguished cries has she screamed? How many times has she asked, God, where are you? And what did I do to deserve this? And it has gone on for 12 years. And she has nowhere else to turn. But it says here in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus. And it's true of us. Oftentimes we don't go to Jesus until we have tried everything else. So can I give you an application for life? Go to Jesus first. 
go to Jesus first. Not as a last resort, but as a first response. Because what we do can also say of her is she has heard a report about Jesus. Uh, Who did she hear that from? Well, we're not told specifically, but we do know we're in Mark 5. We know some things like Mark 128. At once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. We, we, we know like Mark um, chapter 1 verse 34. Uh, he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Uh, and, and the reports are going out and the crowds are getting large. And uh, she's heard a, res- a report about him. So let's continue to read see a little bit more about her heartache and disappointment and her personality. It says in verse 27, she had heard the reports about Jesus, so she's developed the game plan. She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch his garments, I will be made well. That's going to bring us to point number two. She's got a significant problem. Number two, Jesus has saving power. It says in verse 29, immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. For the first time in 12 long years, right? For the first time in 12 years, something that has affected every moment of her life has been transformed. So one thing I would say to you in confidence And on the authority of Scripture is Jesus has power and authority, friends. He does. Now, no matter what's happened in your life, if you've got a lot of commonality with this lady in the Scripture and you say, man, it's not been 12 years, it's been 20 years, or this is a hopeless situation, I've tried everything, uh, and yet here it continues, is that she comes up behind Jesus and reaching out in, in faith And what we can say is, uh, 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 under this point of Jesus has saving power, her bleeding stops immediately and completely. Amen? All through in these scenes of Jesus, he speaks or he responds, and the effect is immediate and it is complete. And that needs to tell you something about, and we'll talk about this as we go along, there's more going on here than just this lady being healed of a terrible disease. But what I want you to see is when Jesus works, his work is immediate and it's complete. Imagine the look on her face. One who had suffered so much has finally found a physician who can help. One who has been overlooked continually has been seen, and one who has been continually disappointed has been assisted and restored. And when that happens, Next on the outline is that Jesus stops everything. He speaks tenderly, and he does more than she hoped. We get the details here. We read it, but to see it again, uh, she comes up behind him. Why is she coming up behind him? She doesn't want to be seen. Now, she wants 
to be helped, but she is hopeful he can help her, and that if he helps her, it can sort of be anonymous, right? And before we're too harsh in our criticism about that, let's, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. So Genesis, then there's Exodus, then there's Leviticus. So look with me in Leviticus chapter 15. Verse 19, whether or not you are familiar with this passage, I can assure you that she was and had been ever before her. Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19, when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. So can we get a little bit of information here about why the fringe of the garment? Here's her fear and here's her reality. If I touch him, what's going to happen? He's going to be unclean. And here's the word that she's living with, impurity. Everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity, which, by the way, has gone on for 12 years, shall be unclean. Everything also which she sits on shall be unclean. Whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it's the bed or anything on which she sits When she touches it, shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her, menstrual impurity comes upon him. She shall be unclean seven days in every bed on which he lies, shall be unclean. And you can keep reading, but you're going to keep hearing unclean, unclean, unclean. So she comes up behind him. What does she want? She wants healing. She wants to be made clean. And she says, I'm just going to reach out and I'm going to touch the fringe of his garment because I can't actually touch him. Because if I touch him... He'll be made unclean. So do you want a, a, a nice gospel anchor to hold on to in your life? You can't, you can't make him unclean. You can't do anything to him that he's going to then be unclean. And this matters for the church because the practicality is that sometimes we deal with things in life that we don't want to talk about. We don't want anybody to know about. And, and the truth of the matter is, it feels unclean. You feel ashamed. You feel like this is the dirty laundry. And can I just tell you, we've all got it. Because everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. There's not a single person in this room that has lived a life where you would think, well, I hope nobody ever finds about, out about that. And so she's coming up. She wants to be clean, but she's afraid of making him unclean. And if you're in Leviticus 15, can you just look at what the next chapter is? You have a heading there? In my Bible, the heading of Leviticus 16 is the day of atonement. I want you to put that in the memory bank because we're going to come back to it in a moment. Jesus stops everything And I think it matters that he speaks to her tenderly because it's probably been at least 12 years since anybody has done that. Whether she was said it or said it herself, what she's been hearing for 12 years is stay out, keep away, not welcome. Isolated, alone, ashamed. And he says, who touched me? 
<laughs> you got to think about this, this lady who's been through the ringer. The moment, I mean, how, how quickly it goes from, I've been helped to, oh, no, right? Because she wants to be anonymous, and all of a sudden she hears him speaking, and she's like, no, please, please, no, please, no, please, no. Just keep moving on. Remember, Jairus, he's got a real issue here, and his daughter said, can you just go on with him? And he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, we've got uh, dozens of people around you, and you're asking, and they're all mashed up on you, who touched me? And it says, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and in trembling. So here's another point to make from her life is we need not suffer in silence. While that's true, it's also true, we must not be silent when we are saved. I think we can all relate to her wish here, right? Can I be made well and then just kind of stay quiet about it? Can you be saved and rescued by the grace of God and then stay silent about it? The answer is no. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Now, why is this important and why is this significant? Why has she come to Jesus to begin with? It says here, she, verse 27, had heard the reports about Jesus. This is pretty clear and pretty straightforward, and you've already realized the application, right? How did she come to Jesus? She'd heard about him, and she'd found healing in him, but her thought is, now I'm not going to give a report about him. That makes sense. So while you should not suffer in silence, when you've been rescued by Jesus, you cannot remain silent about it. The grace of God never comes to you to stay just with you. This entire book is about (laughs) the grace of God coming and those who've received it and known it and understood it, then they go and proclaim it. Now I want to come back to a question I asked at the beginning as we transition to saying, what does all this have to do with us? Have you ever been so sick that you'd give anything to be made well? So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34, teaches us a few things that I want to highlight. And first of all is this, that we get a clear picture of the effects and the glorious solution of sin. So just to point out this again, is uh, we're born spiritually dead. Scripture says that. Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And so if you're spiritually dead, how do you learn spiritual truth? We're born physically alive, heart beating, eyes working, five senses, but spiritually dead, which means we're blind and mute and deaf to the things of God. That's how all of us were born. So if you're going to teach somebody spiritual truth, You've got to use physical means to do so. And so it's true. This is a woman who's had uh, a literal physical (laughs) disease. But there's more going on here than just that. And what we have here is a physical picture of a spiritual truth 
that again begs the question, and let's tweak the question a little bit, have you ever been aware that you were so sick spiritually that you'd give just about anything to be made well? Because this woman's physical issue points to spiritual truth. We've hinted at it. Let's just go for it in this moment. It's very likely that everybody in the room has a particular sinful stronghold that you have wrestled with for a long period of time. It may not be exactly 12 years. For you, it might have been 25 years. For you, it might be 40 years. And it's a stronghold sin. And as the scripture says, there's a sin that so easily entangles. And here's what that sin does in your life. It leaves you feeling isolated, alone, and ashamed. And it's really easy for you in this moment to say, what's your stronghold sin for you to just say, it doesn't take a lot of forethought or a lot of reflection in my life. It is this. And it drains you of vitality, doesn't it? And most of us have looked in a lot of places for help in overcoming and being freed of this stronghold sin. Maybe it's the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. Those are the three categories of sin that we all wrestle with. And it's just ever before you. It's barely a moment of your life. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus, that you're not aware that this sin is draining me of life. It's cutting me off. And what you have learned in your life is you do not grow out of it, but this stronghold sin that does drain you of spiritual vitality and strength, we're not growing out of it. It's growing in us. But friends, I want you to know that Jesus can help and heal the strongest of stronghold sins. Let's put a few things together. The spiritual forces of wickedness would convince you, if they could, that this is always going to be an issue in your life, and you just need to learn to live with it. Hey, this is always going to be present. Always has been, hasn't it? Always will be. The solution is not try harder, do more. The solution is Jesus, amen? Do you believe he has power? Now, your stronghold sin is strong, but do you believe that Jesus is stronger? Jesus can heal. But I would also tell you, and this is hard for a lot of people to come to terms with, you're not going to overcome it alone or in isolation. It's really not how maturing in Christ works. You're going to need some other people. You're going to need one of the glorious blessings you have. And I pray, by God's grace, we take advantage of it. You're going to need the church. <laughs> Amen. You're going to need church family. Because a lot of us, that's where we are. It's easy to identify. This is my stronghold sin. I know what it is. And can I just reach out to the fringe of his garment and be made well and we were done? Do you want peace? And do you want to be healed? You're likely going to, of course, need the help of Jesus. But you're going to need some other people in your life as well. So quick application. Don't continue to suffer in silence. Don't continue. You say, man, if I talk to people about this, I'll be so ashamed. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And often a strategy to do that is to keep you isolated from those who love you and are here to help you. I know I can say that on behalf of all the pastors and so many Spirit-led people in the room, don't continue alone and in silence. This passage also teaches us 
the great importance of giving reports about Jesus. The great importance of giving reports about Jesus. What have you talked about today? What just came easy for you to talk about today? Maybe the game, right? How many conversations of the game have you had today? About yeah, well, let's, I don't even want to talk about that. The weather, work week. What's come easy for you to talk about? There's a great importance in giving reports about Jesus. So if he's healed you, guess what you get to do? Give him glory. Give a report. Has he helped you? You say, man, I've come in fear and trembling. Well, praise God. Praise God. That's what Paul said. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And the next, the merciful compassion and mighty power of Jesus are on display here. Now, uh, Jesus reaches us when we reach the end. When we get to the end, you say, I've exhausted all my uh, helps. That's when Jesus reaches us. She was so concerned that she would make him unclean that she came up behind him. But here's what we're learning in this passage. In the storm, Jesus makes unbreakable promises. Before the demons, Jesus has unmatched power. And here in this issue of uncleanness, Jesus has unalterable purity. Amen? Unbreakable promises, unmatched power, unalterable purity. But now let's talk about the Day of Atonement. While you cannot make him unclean, he is willing to take your uncleanness. Though he himself is absolutely pure and righteous and sinless, he will take your impurity on himself and suffer in your place. So all of your sin, and then in particular, if you want to think in this moment about your stronghold sin, Jesus is going to take the shame for that. He's going to take it instead of you. So we wanted to balance. A, a, a godly conscience leads us to conviction that, yes, there are things in my life that I should be ashamed of, but what am I going to do with that? Where am I going to go to help? The enemy would say, you just <laughs> exist there in your shame. Jesus says, you bring that shame to me, and I'm going to take it on the cross, and I'm going to be crucified in your place. And friends, that is an unbreakable promise that he gives to you. All we like sheep have gone astray. But God the Father has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So you don't have to keep carrying that shame around. You can put it on him, and he's not just going to take your shame, he's also going to give you power to overcome the stronghold sin that leaves us so easily entangled. For who the Son has set free is free indeed. Jesus is the high priest that Leviticus 16 talked about, and Jesus is the high priest who doesn't come and just accept a sacrifice, he himself is the atoning sacrifice. So you don't have to stay alone and isolated and ashamed. Take a, take a cue from this lady in this passage. Hear a report about Jesus, and you can come to him. And the truth of the matter is, it works the opposite way that she was fearful that it was going to work. She was afraid, if I reach out and touch him, I'll make him unclean. But in faith, when you reach out to him, he actually makes you clean. I reach out to him in faith, and what he does is, you want to talk about garments, he says, I'm going to give you my righteous white robe. 
said, your garments are filthy. That's true. Even our best day, our garments are filthy rags before him. He says, but I'm going to exchange. You reach out to me in faith. It's an unbreakable promise that those who have faith in Jesus will be saved. I want you to see that when you come to him, he has power and he also has compassion. It's one of the great things we'll see about him this weekend next. Look what he says. See, the whole crowd of people, they're all crowding in them. And he says, well, who touched me? The heart of God is toward, and we could say is touched, by those who come to him in humility and in faith. Now the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She's afraid. What is she thinking at this moment? I've messed it up. I've touched him. Now he's unclean, and he's going to be mad. He's going to say, why did you do that, you filthy, shameful woman? But what's his word? It's not filthy, shameful. It's a term that, who knows? Who knows the last time she heard it? It's a term of family. It's a term of, you're with me, I'm with you. It's his daughter. Daughter. She's down there fearful and trembling. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in shalom. Twelve years, she hadn't had any of this. To a degree, probably never had it in her whole life, but in particular, for the last 12 years. She thought there's now going to be a lack of peace for what she's done. Jesus says, no, what you've done by my power is actually going to lead to peace. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Be healed of your disease. Now, this passage underscores one of the reasons why we give public invitations. <laughs> Jesus is to be sought publicly. In a moment, we're going to have a public invitation. Some things that you're invited to do. Number one, you're invited to come to Jesus. Amen? No less power, no less presence, no less authority in this moment, in this place, than he had in that place at that moment. You might say, I've gone everywhere else. I've gone to everybody I know to go for peace. That's what we're ultimately talking about today. And he alone can give it. You say, if I reach out to him, I'll make him unclean. No, you won't. He's got power to save. If you think, I'll reach out to him, I'll make him unclean, you hear the promise of God. No, you reach out to me in faith. You don't make me unclean. I make you clean. So you're invited to come to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to stand here at the front and have a public invitation. You've got a burden, a concern you want to pray about, or maybe you want, you want in faith for the first time in your life to come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he did what he said he would do, that he went to the cross, took your shame, and then exchanges it for his righteousness. Or maybe this, is, uh, this passage this morning, as you've looked at Jesus, it's spoken to you not, not in terms of, I need to be saved, but there's some other things that you've pulled from here. That, yeah, to a degree in my life, I've been looking for help some other places, and I just need to recalibrate my soul to focus on Jesus. Maybe you're in a season of life where you feel the same emotions that this woman dealt with. You feel alone, you feel isolated, you feel frustrated, you feel angry, you feel disappointment. 
maybe in a measure of faith you'd want to come. You don't have to come here to the front. It's not about that necessarily, but sometimes to put physical action to uh, internal conviction is helpful to the soul. So let's do this. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together. And we're talking about spiritual things now. When I ask this question, have you ever been so sick spiritually that you know it? The Holy Spirit's revealed to you that, that, that you've got sin, you've got selfishness, you've got self-focus, self-centeredness. You say, I'd do anything to be made well. Well, the Bible clearly tells us there's not anything we can do of ourselves to be made well. We need someone from outside of us to bring healing to inside of us. And Jesus can do that. So, Father, we're praying right now in Jesus' name. And from the description of the text we have this morning, especially we, we have a public invitation. And many of us feel like this lady does when there's a public invitation. I don't want any attention on me. But let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Father, our default setting is to look to ourselves or somewhere else for help, hope, and healing. There are things we deal with in life that nobody else can help us. We certainly can't help ourselves. We can't fix it. We can't solve it ourselves. So may a clear report about Jesus be heard among us, that he is good, he is merciful, he is compassionate, he is powerful, and he is here demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still dead in our sins, Christ died for us. So may the Holy Spirit of the living God be at work among us in a way that draws us to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.